and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And if you thought last week's marathon of podcasts coming out of WrestleMania week was over, um, as I promised last week, uh, they certainly are not. We have three episodes dropping uh, this week. Uh, two to finally put a bow on WrestleMania week 2021, um, looking at uh, For the Culture, as well as uh, Alley Cat's Real Hot Girl shit. But we're also going back to the traditional format of the show again after six hours of um, looking at various different things from WrestleMania week with a sit-down interview with pro wrestler Leo London. Um so we've got a bunch of stuff for the second week in a row here for you on LGBT in the Ring. And we're starting off with this episode talking about GCW's For the Culture, a show put together by AJ Gray featuring wrestlers of color up and down the card. Outstanding show through and through. Um, and I'm glad to have my partner KC coming on to talk about both For the Culture and Alley Cat's Real Hot Girl shit this week. So, um, without further ado, there's a whole bunch to listen to. We're going to get right into it with our chat about uh, GCW for the culture. What's up, guys, guys, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and we are wrapping WrestleMania week one week after we first wrapped WrestleMania. It doesn't matter. We had four shows last week. We got two more this week uh, because there are two events that needed covering from this show. Uh, we had GCW for the culture and Alley Cat's Real Hot Girl shit. And we're tackling both of those events this week. Um, and I am very happy to have as my guest to help me talk about these shows, uh, my partner KC. Welcome back to hey, LGBT in the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean the main re- main reason why I wanted to have uh, you you on for these two shows um, are one intersectionality, obviously, and and you know we both watch a lot of these shows that are specifically this these shows that kind of intersect with different underrepresented communities. You know, you watched a good chunk of the Big Gay Brunch with me as well. Um, but also because I'm always interested to hear your perspectives on things. And, you know, I know the last few times that I've had you on the show, <laughs> the last few times I've had you on the show, um, cat with a cameo there, two weeks in a row. Um, <laughs> the last, the last time I had you on the show though, um, oh, you know, we kind of put to bed the joke about the fact that I like twist your arm into watching pro wrestling stuff or that, you know, just the sheer amount of pro wrestling that goes on in this house is like, you know, overabunding. But uh, like the 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 week of WrestleMania week, I think actually the joke became reality in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think I expected or like anticipated how much. Like I knew because you told me, and I remember from last year. So it's not that I didn't know. It was just once it was here, there was a lot. Yeah, there definitely was a lot. I mean, even co- especially compared to last year, considering that there really weren't any indie events that ran either. So it wasn't the five-day thing right. that it was. This I just year. remember you telling me about what you were anticipating before all the COVID lockdowns. 
Yes, yes. There was a lot to anticipate down there, including what was going to be the original uh, For the Culture show that was supposed to happen there. Obviously, that show did take place in October whenever the uh, the collective ran in Indianapolis, but this was the, the second iteration of the For the Culture show. Um, I guess technically the third, if you count the For the Culture block that, that GCW did during the Fight Forever event, um, which was a lot of fun. But, you know, this time they get to do another another proper one back in Tampa where it was originally planned to take place uh, last year. And, I don't know, I, this, this show was a lot of fun, personally. Um, I know that it did draw a few complaints from some people, uh, hello Darnell, that the show started at midnight uh, our time, or no, midnight Eastern, excuse me, midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. our time. So it did have a late start. It went into the wee hours of the night, which is uh, typical for for WrestleMania week, um, at least in recent years. But even the late start could not keep this from being just an outright party atmosphere and a whole lot of fun with a whole lot of awesome pro wrestling from uh, a large collection of uh, wrestlers of color uh, on this show. What were your, um, like initial thoughts uh watching the event well um so as far as it being a late night sort of match um i liked some of the optics of it i thought sometimes it could be hard to see um folks entrances but um i i like your description of it being uh sort of a party atmosphere because thinking back on it that's really how it kind of came off um so i really liked that excitement and energy it brought. Um, and overall, I just appreciated um, having this show. I saw a lot of people, I, a lot of new wrestlers I haven't seen so far, and then a lot of ones that I recognize that I've really enjoyed watching in the past. So it was exciting to get to see them again and sometimes pair up even. Yeah, no, like it was, a, that's one thing that I like about these shows is that because of their focus, they allow you to see talent that has not been on your radar because like there were people on this show that, were new to me as well. Mm. You know, like people like AlphaZo, um, people like Uptown Andy Brown, um, you know, people that probably should have been on my radar, but, but weren't just because of the sheer amount of pro wrestling I have to store in my head, you know. But at the same time, like these events are outstanding for, for showcasing all these new names that, you know, people are going to go back and, you know, follow on social media or look up past stuff on. Or anticipate going forward. I know for a lot of people um, on this show, particularly um, someone who's I think been, has been making a pretty b- good name for himself, though he's very very young in his career, and and someone who I was glad to see get a spot on the show was Eli Knight. Um, you know he had his match against Trey Lamar. Eli Knight. It made sense that he was going to be there, considering that he's sort of local. Like he's he's local to Orlando. Mm. You know, which is a stone's throw from Tampa, but um, he is very very young and very very talented and making a name for himself in Florida and starting to branch out like I've seen him you know pop up in Paradigm Pro here and there and a few other places and and for him to get national exposure like this along with so many other great people on the show was uh was really awesome to see and really fulfills the purpose of what this show is supposed to be or at least one of the purposes I think why do you say that well I think the I think because I mean, the purpose of, of any wrestling show, honestly, is you you want to see the names that draw you in, but at the same time, you want to see people that 
you might not necessarily know uh, that impress you, mm-hmm. you know, that make you want to seek out their stuff. Like it's, it's just the, the circular nature of these things. Like, you know, knowing that AJ Gray put this show together was going to draw the GCW crowd in. It was going to draw, you know, black wrestling fans in because AJ Gray is a known commodity. Um, you had JTG on the show, Two Cold Scorpio, Rich Swan, the Impact World Champion Rich Swan on this show, um, Leo Rush and Lee Moriarty. So many of the top na- top uh, talents of color in pro wrestling right now that are not signed to major uh, major companies, and even one that is in Rich Swan, like signed to Impact, they're mm-hmm. world champion right now. Who's setting up for a match against Kenny Omega coming up here shortly? So, like, you have these large names that are able to draw in the crowd that might not be as in tune with the independent wrestling scene. But once you get them in on those names, you get to introduce them to people like Eli Knight, like Myron Reed, like um, frontman Jossie, like Calvin Tankman, D-Rogue, um, AC Mack, so many other people, Brooke, Brooke Valentine and Willow Nightingale. Mm-hmm. You know, so many different people that, you know, people that um, were coming to the show that only knew A.J. Gray. Um, or only new Rich Swan who only watched Impact, they come out here and they see um, all these other people that can start pulling them into their respective areas. Because a lot of these people are from very from different scenes throughout the nation, you know. So like you start paying attention to like Las Vegas, start paying attention to Southern California, start paying attention to the Ohio Valley area, you know, like all these different areas where where wrestling is starting to flourish again as as we come out of well not come out of but as we near the end of the the pandemic um here <laughs> in in the US. So like that's that's really what I mean by when I say that because like you want to create spaces for people to flourish and for people to showcase themselves and keep building their audience in that way. And then just adding on to that like for me it's about the importance of uplifting the community in that you know a lot of times folks from marginalized groups don't necessarily get that uh that opportunity to showcase themselves. Um, and I think, uh, sorry, I'm like blanking on my, my words here, but, um, with a lot of people, uh, from marginalized groups, we don't get the same opportunities of like essentially for networking. So we can grow in our careers. Um, so it just is hugely important to me, um, that, you know, we're lifting each other up essentially. No, for sure. I mean, that's really, I think one of the major criticisms that spawned this show in many ways, because, um, you know, AJ Gray's narrative within GCW is a very interesting one. Like obviously he has ingratiated himself, um, through his work and through his personality and through, you know, using his voice, um, to the GCW audience, to Brett Lauderdale, the owner of GCW, you know, he's a mainstay there, um, SGC all day. But, um, at the same time, there are narratives with AJ Gray's time in GCW that speak to not having the same opportunities for people of underrepresented communities. Um, even if it is like you know in like in storyline representations of it, it still like has the optics of something like that. AJ Gray is a former GCW World Champion. He held that title for like all of a few minutes. Um, mm. because like basically this uh, it was a whole situation with Nick Gage, Ricky Shane Page, and and AJ Gray was kind of the champions sandwiched in between them. Um, but at the same time, whenever AJ Gray won that title, like that was a a huge moment. 
Um, you know, both because it was AJ Gray who won it, and also because he beat Nick Gage, who was like the the guy in GCW to win it. So, um, but that that narrative coming out of AJ Gray's title win and subsequent loss to Ricky Shane Page, like soon afterwards, has really been a sticking point. I think when it comes to the perception of talent of color within GCW. You know, I, when I talked to Billy Dixon uh, before everything went down at WrestleMania week last week, you know, he talked about, he brought up that, that title win and how long it was and how long and, and everything, you know, he's like, I hope that we're, that these events prove that at least in one way that Brett Lauderdale, you know, can have a GCW champion for more than five minutes, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and to that extent, to, to, to that goal, like these shows prove that in, in waves, I would say. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. So so in that way, like, these shows, like, hold a very, very significant importance. You know, not, like, for the culture, for sure. You know, the real hot girl shit, the big gay brunch. Um, so, yeah. I, I do have a question for you, though. Because yeah. um, it did flag me that this was one of the this was one of the last shows for the night, right? This was the last show on the night that it aired, yes. Um, do you think that that meant there were less viewers uh that's a good question um that was mainly one of my concerns because like for 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 this show and for uh real hot girl shit which we'll talk about later on um in more in depth because i'm going to talk about it right now too but real hot girl shit started at the very beginning and i just i could i noticed that the crowd at real hot girl shit was really thin and i wonder if they had moved them at different time slots whether they would have gotten more exposure the exposure that they should be getting for these wonderful shows um it was harder to tell of course with for the culture because it was at night it was a lot darker um but that just was something that also flagged me um with both the shows really yeah and and you know i think that's a valid criticism to make you know because obviously the big gay brunch granted it's the big gay brunch that show is probably going to air in like the late morning early right. afternoon based on the name but at the same and at the same time though like the weather in tampa i think definitely affected those early day shows as well um in in that way not a hundred percent that's not the number one cause of, of that you know why the crowds weren't as big as for for the culture and the late night start look i know that it probably did affect viewership in some way but at the same time gcw has built the expectation that there is going that there are going to be these late night shows okay and and especially in years past whenever you could draw have larger crowds in person there um, they have drawn those crowds for those shows, um, those okay. late night shows. Specifically, uh, Joey Janela's Spring Break used to be a late night show for the most part. Like it would be a, something that I want to think the first year they had it, it had like a one a.m. start time. I could be wrong on that, but it was it was a late start time. So they've conditioned their audience <laughs> in a way that to expect that these shows are going to be late night things. Um, at the same time, though, for casual fans who aren't you know, already plugged into the GCW um, block per se. Um, that can be a bit of a, of a hindrance when it comes to engaging with shows like this because of the late start. You know, especially if you're on the East Coast, because it was a Thursday night. Um, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, because yeah, it was Thursday night because Real Hot Girl shit was Friday morning. So it's a th- it's midnight on Thursday night. Um, so you're going to limit the audience in that way. 
at the same time, though, this was probably one of the larger crowds for the non, like, regular GCW events that run every WrestleMania mm-hmm. week. So I, I was very heartened to see that. And I, and I think, that, honestly, the late night aided in having that crowd in a way because if you had put Real Hawk Girl shit at midnight as opposed to at 11 a.m., um, I think that it would have drawn a, a crowd that more resembled this one. Okay. And also the the benefit, too, because, like, I, I did see bits and pieces of shows that happened, like, it, in the middle of the afternoon, essentially, and I cannot imagine having to wrestle during that time period just because it was so hot. It looked like a lot of these sets were outdoors, um, and that must have just really been killer. Yeah, I mean, everything was outdoors until it just open downpoured in Tampa and they were forced <laughs> to move into the Cuban club for the last couple of events on Saturday night. So oh. yeah. So they, they had to move the whole setup inside <laughs> on a very quick turnaround um, because of the weather. But yeah, so that definitely played a part in it. But at the end of the day though, for the culture had an awesome atmosphere. Uh, you know, I think that the broadcast didn't necessarily do it wholly justice. I've seen people that were there live talk about how, how much of a, of a great environment it was. And you saw some of that, but it didn't necessarily come through completely in the through the the, the broadcast in that way. But yeah, same, I don't know. I, I think that's just partly tech limitations. The fact that they are yeah. doing it outside, and um, I don't like that. Those are probably abnormal conditions. My main thing was that it was just it was a little bit hard to see wrestlers when they were coming out, which is you know the really exciting part um, leading up to the show. And um, I I can't remember because, uh, you know, it's just been a while since we watched it, but I I can't remember how much of the crowd I could really see. And I don't know. I've watched a lot of wrestling throughout the pandemic. And at this point, like crowd doesn't necessarily um, add much to the environment for me. Like it's a more take it or leave it type of thing. So um, maybe it just, I didn't notice cause it didn't necessarily factor in for me. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that, especially considering how much stuff we've watched without fans recently. Yeah. So I can understand that. Um, so let's talk about the, the event specific though. Um, what, uh, matches stood out to you personally as like favorites? Like if you had like one favorite or multiple favorites that, that you really enjoyed. I mean, I think all the matches on the show were fun and good in different ways, but I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything that specifically stood out to you um, while watching this. I mean, absolutely, Fire and Flava versus Thick and Juicy 2.0. That's that's yes. the match that absolutely stands out in my mind. Why is that? Um, it was just a really fun match to watch. Like at at the beginning, um, I did not appreciate. Uh, Kira Hogan and Tasha Steele's calling um, Faye Jackson. I think they said cripple. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not appreciate that at all. I mean, I know that they were building them up as heels. I just think that they really could have used other language and it's still being insulting. Like, I think I mentioned that to you when we were watching and I'm like, they could have called her like, chicken wing or something like that i can't remember yeah, exactly like, what. like like wing clipped or like you know wounded or something something that's not as ableist in, in its connotation right so yeah i did not appreciate that but 
Um, aside from that, I really enjoyed watching them. Like, um, I I don't think I've seen either Kira um, or Tasha before. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've seen Tasha before. She was on the uh, the Women's Garden State Invitational tournament that we watched back in December. That unfortunately, it's not really that fun to talk about now because of the situation with synergy wrestling but that mm. she was on there um she's been on a couple of battle club pro shows that i think i might have shown you okay um but mainly the but kiera and tasha are the the reigning impact knockouts women's champions uh tag team champions rather which is you know impacts women's division there so they've been teaming for for a while now um and like they are i've said this in multiple places they are one of the most if not the most entertaining aspect of that impact television pro- programming right now i just think that they really flow well together oh yeah um and like they really do make good heels <laughs> no they definitely do I, I i just love their energy and just how like much they like embrace their personalities in in their presentation like it is full force 100% them from the moment they come out of the the curtain to the moment they go back and mm-hmm. and it takes a lot to kind of stay up in that way for that that amount of time right so i definitely love watching that and the you know the the audible called here whenever Faye jackson uh was injured to throw brooke valentine into this match with willow nightingale as her tag team partner um was for me, like awesome to see, just because you know I've spoken all the praises of Brooke Valentine on this show multiple mm-hmm. times. Willow was a known commodity. Willow was outstanding, um, but Brooke getting seeing her get the, sh- the chance to step into this setting was really fun, um, you know. And obviously, like she was on other shows as well, as we'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like I just love seeing her get the opportunity there. Um, this is also, if I'm not mistaken, the only match to feature. Um, out queer wrestlers in it. Um, no, I am wrong. Why am I? I completely <laughs> forgot about. I am so sorry, AC Mack. It was one of two <laughs> matches, one of two matches to feature out um, out LGBTQ wrestlers in it, with both Kiera and Brooke uh, representing in this match. So, um, oh, cool. That, that adds a little extra there for me. But now the match was fun, and it had some added gravitas whenever you know Kiera and Tasha put their titles on the line there. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have triggered the the finish personally for me, just because like they're probably not going to lose those championships on a GCW show. But at the same time, like the ending doesn't necessarily matter if you see it coming. It matters like if it's good getting there, right. and this was definitely good getting there. Yeah, and also I was just really excited to see Brooke Valentine and Will Nightingale. Um, they their names that stick out to me because we we I've seen. I don't know how many at this point, but I've seen enough of their um, their matches in the past to really be excited that they were going to do this tag team together. Um, obviously, I also love Faye Jackson, and um, I'm hoping she recovers well, and I'm sorry to hear that she's retiring. Um, but I think that the way that she set it up, too, for Brooke Valentine and Willow Nightingale um, just really made them shine for this particular match. 
Alright, Yens, thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Was there any other match that stood out to you, personally? Oh, other matches. Um, again, it's been a while since we watched it. I do remember um, paying close attention with an AJ or AC Max show, um, just because he's also one of those wrestlers that um, I'm familiar with, and I like watching him wrestle, and then. Uh, it's the same with PB Smooth. Um, I think it's partly his name just because I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then uh, I, I the the match itself. Um, I'm having a little bit more trouble re- remembering the Lee Mortiari uh, versus Leo Rush. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ending of it was that really stood out to me and stuck with me. Um, yeah. Is there any particular, uh, were there any particular matches that stood out to you or, or what oh, do you think of? I mean, for sure. Like Leo Rush and Lee Moriarty, just from a pure wrestling, like technical wrestling standpoint was a clinic and a half personally. Like I, if I just wanted to sit down and watch a technical wrestling match from the show, that's the one I'm watching. It was just complete, like super speed, um, trading holes back and forth is constantly one-upping each other. Um, two of the better um, wrestlers on the independents right now. Of course, you know, Lee Moriarty, the reigning IWTV uh, independent wrestling champion. Leo Rush, um, the current MLW middleweight champion. So, like, two people with championship pedigrees going into um, this show here. Um, and I think other than that, that one stood out a lot. Um, AJ Gray and JTG 
mm-hmm. was really fun as well, just because the JTG has been so, so um, heartening to watch over the past year as, he, as he's had his resurgence on the independent scene um, in various promotions. You know, coming after like his time with WWE and how like you're you're quickly realizing how underutilized he was whenever he was under WWE contract, but also to have a lot of these moments and to have this run, you know, not even a year removed or just right around a year removed now from the passing of his tag team partner Shag Gaspard. You know, mm-hmm. they were more than tag team partners; they were you know close friends. So, um, in in a way, like it's keeping that that spirit and that name alive as well. You know, even though there's plenty of reason to keep Shad's name alive other than just seeing G- JTG in the ring. But Jay the God is uh, having an amazing run. Um, and there's a moment from that match that I want to get back to, but I do want to touch on one more match before we get there because the match that really uh, stood out to me uh, personally, just beyond just the wrestling aspect of it, was Darius Lockhart and uh brian keith mainly because um one i love brian keith's whole ensemble like his whole (laughs) like his whole aura is just amazing i love the the bounty hunter stuff i love coming out to um mike jones i love like how like unapologetically texas it all is but at the same time he is a strong black man using all of those motifs mm-hmm. in, in the in that um and mixing hip hop with that cowboy that cowboy bounty hunter desperado culture that comes out of there. Plus he's an outstanding wrestler who's had a a, a, a very good career um over the past few years in mainly in, in the Texas area there. Um and then, you know, going up against Darius Lockhart in his first match in over a year. Mm. Um that was Darius's return was a huge thing. Uh, for me, because you know the last time that anybody really saw him in the ring was at the um, the Fight Club Pro Wrestling uh, show in DC, there where Trishadora beat him to win the uh, Pan African <laughs> World Diaspora Wrestling Championship and to become the first champion to hold that that title. Mm. So like that, and I believe he got injured in that match, and then the pandemic hit. So he's been sitting on the shelf for over a year, um, and you know he's posted promos here and there but he's he's um been kind of like he hasn't been quiet overall but like in terms of like pro wrestling it's been definitely been like something where his presence has been missed right you know and so like and especially in like the climate that we're in now you know Darius Lockhart you know it's not like I know that like his persona and his character in wrestling is like very influenced by the Black Panthers very influenced influenced by Huey P. Newton and Fred Hampton, mm. but at the same time, that's not a character. That's Darius. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't know Darius that well. We've never had a conversation. You know, I only know him through like social media and like what we what we everyone has seen publicly from him. Mm-hmm. But that is not a character. That is him. And you know, whenever he does cuts his his promos, they're not wrestling promos. They are calls to action. Um, and those took a different weight. Uh, considering what we've seen over the past year um, post-George Floyd. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, the the, the adoption, wider adoption of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and in a way kind of creating that rainbow coalition that Fred Hampton um, really tried to do in Chicago before, mm-hmm. you know, his un- his untimely assassination. So, 
like in that way, like Darius was a perfect, was the perfect wrestler to have on this show because of what he preaches and what he purports and what he represents. You know, he, he uses that, that power to the people, people of the power line that Fred Hampton made famous, Mm -hmm. um, like all the time in, in his promos and, that is something that goes beyond pro wrestling and you know the ending of this match with you know Brian Keith showing respect by not by shaking Darius's hand but by raising the fist right it was a fucking statement and you know Darius you know, was there right alongside him and you know it's just one of those things where it 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 goes beyond pro wrestling and that's what i love about um moments like that. I love moments that go beyond just a ring and two people that are sweaty smacking against each other. Mm -hmm. Wrestling has so much more to say than just that match was fun to watch. It's a story to tell. Yeah. Both like like you're saying inside the ring but also outside the ring. Also real quick shout out to Myron Reed and because uh, and Frontman Job because I just don't understand some of the bumps that y'all were taking in that four way (laughs) match. Like, Myron Reed jumping over the top rope to hit a cutter on the front man's jaw to the floor. Like, nope. Never in my life do I want to take that bump. <laughs> <laughs> never in my life. Um, was there anything anything else from any other match that stood out to you? Or do we want to get to the 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 stuff around the, uh, the post-match with AJ Gray? Well, um... First, I actually wanted to talk about the commentators because yeah. it was Billy Dixon and. So it was a rotating chair. Uh, Big Purse was the main announcer, okay. and then Billy Dixon and uh, Suge D kind of switched in and out okay. throughout the show. Both, you know, Billy Dixon and Suge D, both professional wrestlers. So, and Purse also a wrestler too, but mostly doing some doing commentary now. So, um, I just really liked the back and forth that happened a lot. Um, between them, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Billy Dixon and um, Purse. Purse, thanks. Yeah. Um, I just thought that they really meshed well, um, and I just loved that they were who were who was giving us commentary. Um, I can't. Uh, I don't. I don't remember too much after Billy switched out. Um. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I could talk too much about that. But um, did was was there anything that stood out to you? Um, what commentary wise? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Person and Billy are like a great tandem together. Person and Shug are also a great tandem together in in different ways, you know. Um, in in a subtle way, it kind of played into the uh, the wholesome gang versus creep squad thing that we're going to talk about <laughs> with the gray sweatpants battle royal later. Considering that Shug is the leader of the wholesome gang and Billy is a staunch creep squad member, <laughs> so like having that switch out back and forth there was a, a fun little thing. But both both of them had um, amazing chemistry with Purse, um, who is like quickly becoming one of my favorite. In independent wrestling commentators to listen to but also it lended an authentic voice to these shows because they were all um you know persons of color uh, that were calling these these matches mm-hmm. and it, so in that way it lended an authenticity to what you're seeing they could speak to the experiences and speak to the stories and speak to the moments that were happening there um and also that's a great tie-in to talking about the post-match stuff with aj gray because that gave us the the lead into the moment that set up the big gay brunches most like uh lasting image uh with billy dixon and aj gray in their um in their uh pup collar match yes so because after aj gray you know aj gray defeats jtg 
on this show, and Billy's on commentary for that match. After the match is over, Billy says, oh, got to go, hops off mic, <laughs> and then not two minutes later, rushes the ring with a chair, lays out AJ Gray, um, and basically sits down to do his own version of uh, CM Punk's pipe bomb promo. Um, you know, talking about AJ Gray, um, you know, it's great that you have this show and they are creating opportunities for for black talent in, in that way. But at the same time, you slept, you literally slept on the LGBTQ community. You literally slept on Billy himself because at the collective, the, the one back in October, AJ Gray was supposed to be <laughs> in that eight person tag team match. Uh, SGC versus the the queer collective there, mm-hmm. which Billy was one of the the, the members of the, the queer team on that show, and AJ Gray is a you know very staunch member of the SGC. AJ Gray overslept. AJ Gray didn't wasn't there for that, and they had to sub in Levi Everett. So in that way, AJ Gray literally slept uh, on on that and obviously like you know people oversleep these things happen in 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 these sort of things but it, they turned it into something that they could use for to build this match and to build the atmosphere for it right and billy laid it out you know i billy you know amazing on the mic as always and and just basically laid it out like you're not gonna sleep on me anymore um, because when you do this stuff like this happens, you know, so like, and it, it's set up perfectly for the pup collar match, uh, two days later, um, mm-hmm. which l- was, oh my, probably my lasting memory coming out of this entire week outside of like that. And then the Bianca Sasha main event at the n- first night of WrestleMania are the two most lasting images overall. But, um, but yeah, like I really like that post-match, uh, stuff. Well, what about you? Um, yeah, no, I really appreciated it just because I wasn't necessarily in, like expecting that. Um, so, you know, I did think that, you know, Billy just left. He was switching out or whatever. It, it was kind of like an abrupt switch out. But, you know, that that could happen. Um, then he was suddenly in the ring. Um, so I just really liked watching that play out. Uh, and you had told me, you were telling me at the time, you know, that they will have a match later on. And um, so... I just really appreciated that setup. Um, I thought it was really good story building. Um, and like you were saying, I just love that they turned this real life accident um, into this competition. Uh, or not not really competition, but um, fuel for the fire, I guess, is yeah. more what I'm trying to I mean, say. They built it into a storyline that, that, that made that match much more um, significant in a way. You know, it, it made people want to see it, to see what was going to happen, you know. Like it's wrestling one on one in a lot of ways, but it's it's the kind of storytelling that speaks to something larger. In the same way I was talking about with Darius and, and Brian Keith, you know, it's, it's the times when wrestling is the best, whenever it can say something with what it's doing as an art form. So, mm-hmm. um, and another quick honorable mention for me, I could watch Rich Swan's entrance all night long, not to pun pun fully intended, um, <laughs> considering. <laughs> Uh, so like I don't know that was just like the most that that it felt like a party atmosphere that night was watching Rich Swan's entrance because you know it played the entire Lionel Richie song for the most part <laughs> as he was the, the going around dancing with everybody it that was one of the moments that made me wish I was in Tampa this year like I was going to be last year um, at the same time though it's a pandemic that's not gonna fucking happen 
<laughs> so um yeah i think that moment for me was with kira hogan and tasha Steeles. yeah that was personally but yeah <laughs> that was definitely definitely well um as we kind of wrap up uh talking about for the culture here what were your um like major like takeaways from from the show well i do wonder um are thick and juicy 2.0 like here to stay well, we'll get we'll talk about that a bit okay. with the the Ali Cat's real hot girl shit, but I would say like possibly I would I would assume so at, at some point down the line. Okay, um, just wondering because I really liked uh, seeing them work together. Um, then overall, like uh, I do like how more and more I'm seeing some of the same names pop up in other shows. Um, like just throughout this weekend with some of the more independent wrestling that we watched um it was really exciting to see people move from show to show i thought it was like great exposure for them but it also just tied everything together for me if that makes sense mm-hmm. and like the majority of people that were on this show were on multiple shows this week right or, or that week so it's one of those things where like the names are getting out there people are starting to recognize and those attitudes towards you know only having like the like having like a quota or like only oh, having like God. a certain like yeah fuck that shit, um the, those sort of ideas are starting to go by the wayside in in a lot of places and shows like this prove that there is a glut of uh, talent, you know that are very very capable if although, you provide them opportunities. Although if you do have quotas for shows, mm-hmm. they could definitely include more LGBTQ people and women. Um, <laughs> Not a huge criticism or anything, uh, just saying. Well, um, I think, like, very similarly, I, th- I think really the fact that so many of these people did show up on multiple shows is the major thing for me. Like, I think that this this is kind of the atmosphere that I want to see in in a lot more pro wrestling shows, which is interesting considering that the, really the main places you get these sort of atmospheres, um, these, like, party-like atmospheres, are at the shows for underrepresented communities specifically, like, if fans had been at Paris' bumping, that shit would have blown the roof oh off of God. the place. <laughs> Which, by the way, like, I don't know, like, like that, you know, queer events, events for, for talent of color, events for, for you know, female talent, um, those events, like, bring in a, a different kind of crowd, um, obviously, but they also create an environment that doesn't have necessarily the same sort of expectations it's- or... Or sort of things that a regular pro wrestling audience would have. Sorry, it's not. No, you're you're fine. It's just not necessarily dominant culture, mm-hmm. which you have definitely taken me to WWE matches in the past. You've taken me to Ring of Honor, but this was like years ago, so I actually don't really remember how much. But it it it, it as a fan sitting in the crowd at those shows, um. It feels very formulaic, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, you know, you do these particular chants at this certain time, you throw all those streamers at the certain time, Um, all the chants are are kind of standard. And it's not like that doesn't also bleed over into these other, um, like, non-dominant culture shows. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love how much more flexible non-dominant culture shows are um, and how we're putting our own spin on things. Um, it like these, that's why I like watching these shows. Like we also 
well, I wasn't really watching, but when you had WWE on the on the TV <laughs> screen, yes, I'm just I'm just not engaged with it, um, like I am with for the culture or real hot girl shit or anything gay. Yeah. No, I mean, and that that's very indicative. I mean, I would like just look at the comparison of going to those Ring of Honor shows that we went to in the past, and then going to something like Butch versus Score. Like it's mm-hmm. a completely different atmosphere. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, and and I think that wrestling can definitely benefit from those different atmospheres. And one thing too about um, oh, why am I blanking on the name? Because you just said it. The one in DC. Butch versus Butch Gore. versus Gore. Yeah. Um, the thing about Butch versus Gore too was it sounded like there were a lot of audience members who weren't necessarily wrestling fans, but they he- heard that this queer show was going on, yeah. so they went to check it out. Exactly. Um, and everybody was having a good time. So some more than others. Yeah, some more than <laughs> others. I, I still remember waiting in the bathroom line forever. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it, it, you know, the point deserves reiteration. Just like you bring in other like cultures and other um, populations and you get different environments that can break up that staleness and can break up and present something that will bring in other people that may not necessarily think they, they can engage in pro wrestling in the same way. So, you know, that, that is a, a key thing for all of these shows to, as they keep going forward. Cause this is, this is not going to be the last time we see for the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just hope that more people on for the culture are on more shows around WrestleMania week. And then on more shows throughout the rest of the year, mm-hmm. same way as the other, um, underrepresented population shows are. So, Yeah. I think that's a good place to, to kind of wrap up unless you had any additional thoughts on fourth culture. I don't at the moment. No worries. All right. Well, with that uh, being said, we're, we'll, we'll close the book on for the culture uh, for, for now and uh, take a break. And then we will uh, chat a little bit about uh, Alley Cat's real hot girl shit. Awesome. My thanks once again to Casey for coming on the show and chatting all about For the Culture with me. Um, I'm saying thank you now, but I'm also going to be saying thank you later whenever you listen to the end of the Alley Cat's Real Hot Girl Shit chat that we have uh, that is dropping the same time as this. So make sure you check out that episode as well as the episode featuring my interview with Leo London, the Canadian slash Greek pro wrestler who has uh, done pretty well for himself up in uh, Winnipeg. Even got in the ring with uh, Kenny Omega a number of times. But uh, regardless of of that, um, thank you for for tuning into the show. um, And make sure to check out those other episodes, though, because um, we have a lot to talk about. Um, We finally are going to put a bow on uh, WrestleMania week here today. But of course, um, until the next episode, (laughs) y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, and take some time for yourself today. Bye.